This is More Than Therapy Podcast. More Than Therapy. This is More Than Therapy. More Than Therapy Podcast. This is More Than Therapy. More Than Therapy Podcast. This is More Than Therapy Podcast. David R. Edwards served in healthcare for 35 years before his epiphany. Well, perhaps three of them. After two years of research and writing, he published New You, Who Knew? The book helps people live in real lives with real struggles, achieve a new normal of meaning, accomplishment, relationship, control, and balance. Written for average people working on the front lines of business and life. Today we have Mr. David Edwards, as I just previously said, knew you who knew. And he says, we're not machines, but as you can see, I'm a machine. And like I was telling David before we started recording, we're so locked into parameters of our everyday life. We wake up at a certain time. We eat breakfast at a certain time. We do our hygiene at a certain time. If we're lucky, we get to bed at a certain time. We we do what we need to do, robot style at work in order to get the things done in order for us to get paid. But David said, whoa, no, sir. <laughs> knew you, knew, who knew? We are not a machine. You know, 35 years in the making. Sir, tell us about this. Hi. Thank you so much for that nice introduction. I, um, As you noted, I've worked in healthcare for 35 years. And um, most of my career, I've worked in what we call integrated care. So this idea that I'm not just a mouth or a nose or a mind or my shoulders or fingers, right? It's not a part. It's all of me. I'm connected. It's the way every one of us is born. It is reality. And so what we were trying to do, I was in the, a few years ago, I was the CEO of a federally qualified health center or community health center. And we were in this fairly wonderful position to have outgrown our facility. And we were starting to design and build a new facility. It was going to be twice as big, um, spend a lot of money, um, and we'd be able to help a lot more people. We um, realized, however, that even though we had a good model, this model built around you as an individual person, that said, you're not your neighbor, you're not your parents, you're not your partner, you know, you are you. And we wanted to work with you and engage with you as this whole person, recognizing you have a personal life, you have a mental life, a physical life, a work life, a social life. You've got all these domains or aspects of your life, but you're all one person, right? You are connected to all of these things. And so working with you as a whole person, we had a team. So you didn't come in and see the doctor or come in and see the dentist or come in and see the therapist. All of these team members were on a single team, if you will, like in a single place. And we flexed services based upon what you needed. Um, and, And I could go into a lot more detail about that. But I think the point is, The whole idea was you are a whole person and we want to engage with you as that whole person, not as a piece of you. Even though an individual team member 
might focus with you on some element or aspect of what's going on, what your challenges are, what you're trying to work on or do better at. Um, and it's not always about being sick, right? So often we think about a healthcare journey and if, is this audio or video or both or? Both. Both. <laughs> so if, if you're not on a video, if you're on audio, I've put my hand out to the left and I put other hand out to the right. My face is in the middle. <laughs> and normally we think if I'm over here at, at this hand, let's say, let me see, let's say this hand um, on the left, and you go from there to my face, that's half of that space. And in that half of the space, we normally think of on my hand, I'm sick. And when I get to my face, I'm healthy, right? We think of our life in this kind of linear black and white way. But really, that's not a very good representation of life because health is not simply the absence of disease. In fact, we can be fairly healthy with disease. And so what I would like to say is that if you go from my face out here to my right, this whole space, the half of that space is a continuum. And we might be anywhere on that continuum from not being ill to being vibrant, to being vital, to being engaged, to being charged up, to being um, socially connected, to being vivacious, right? All these kinds of things, there's a continuum there. And so we saw life not as a difference between being sick and not sick, but as a continuum that goes way beyond just an absence of disease, which is like developing who we are as a human being, as a contributing member of society. And so that's kind of the mental model. And we thought, how do we design this facility to support that kind of a practice, that kind of a mental model, where you might see a primary care provider and a therapist on the same day? Um, you might be getting some help with some depression as well as with diabetes at the same time. Um, you might be in a group. You might be in an online. You might be at a Zumba class. <laughs> you know, we had a, a gym, basically a small gym, but a place where we could do group sessions and exercise and yoga. And all. I mean, it was all kinds of things. We tried to be very holistic and have a big toolbox, right? I, I kept saying what we want is a big toolbox because everybody's an individual and not the same tools work for every person. And Christopher and I were talking about this a little bit. He likes his big toolbox as well because he provides person-centered care, right? Because we're each unique. So we were working on this and we were having lots of great discussions. And for me, this kind of creative stuff is Super fun. I mean, that's, that's what I like to do. And I had this first epiphany. And it was basically, we can have a really wonderful team of folks. We can have great computer systems. We can have a beautiful new building with all these advantages. We can have a conference room and a workout room and all these different things. But unless we can help our patients or our clients, our customers, if you will, unless we can help them to fulfill this role as the captain of this care team, we're going to greatly limit our success. We're going to greatly limit the difference it's going to make to be in this new building. Because you see, because you've got this team of people that are available to help you, but we don't want to be telling you what to do. 
We want to be engaging with you as the person who knows your whole life the best and help you, you know, with the things that you want. And so you need to be in charge of this. You, in fact, are the captain of the care team. And so I started just asking this wonderful, what we call a multidisciplinary team. I started asking, well, I'm a little embarrassed, but I'm not... uh, I'm not so prideful that I, I can't learn stuff at this point. So it's like, what does this mean even? What does it mean to be the captain of the care team? What are the skills, right? And we started having this kind of a dialogue. And I realized fairly quickly, kind of a second epiphany, was that it's all about change. And there's really two kinds of change. If I go back to early in my career, which for some of you <laughs> might be before you were born. But in, in the early 1980s, mid-1980s, I worked for a community health center in Seattle, Washington. And we opened a new site. You know, it was 40 miles away. And I bought a modem so that we could connect the computer there with the computer in Seattle, where our main office was. And, you know, this thing was the size of a microwave oven. And it basically did, you know, dial up telephone speed levels. But it allowed us to send data from these sites. And it was amazing. It cost a couple thousand dollars, but it was the solution available at the time. So you fast forward 30 years or so, you know, and here we are talking on, um, it's not Zoom. What are we on? We're on uh, this marvelous technology platform. StreamYard. StreamYard. There you go. And so, you know, and, and our computer is only the size, you know, of a, of a tiny little like a pack of cigarettes or something almost. It's just everything's changed. So there's technology and stuff changes around us. So you got to keep up with that. More importantly, though, is that we've got to keep up with the change that's going on inside of us. This process of who are we becoming? That is the most critical change. And how are we not the victim of all the opinions of others and the environment around us, perhaps, and the the wishes of all those who want to sell us stuff? I mean, there's so many influences around. And a few of them are, you know, really interested in our own personal best interests. But most people just want us to buy their stuff or to do their things, or to follow the crowd, or to, you know, do whatever else. So they want to be in charge of what we think and what we do and who we become. But it's really, really critical that we not cede that control to others, but that we, in fact, are the captains of our own life. And so as I started studying change models, and there's a whole bunch of different models Um, Because we're human beings, and so people are going to have different opinions. But as I lined up some of the most common change models, I had this third epiphany, perhaps. And it was that at the core of every one of these models that were designed, you know, to understand how we as human beings actually change. In other words, how we become the captain of our change, the leader of our change, um, is this idea of personal motivation because you see there are social elements there are skill elements there are structural elements there's all these you know other elements but at the very foundation of every one of these models was this idea 
of motivation. This idea that if I can do something, it doesn't make any difference if I don't want to do it, right? What do I want? And so I started diving deep into, well, what is motivation about, right? And motivation for me as a, an, as a leader in organizations was mostly about how do I motivate people to do what I want them to do? Isn't that terrible? <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed to say it even. But that, you know, as a business leader, you know, that's what you often think about. You're thinking, about what are the levers that I can pull in order to get people to do what I want them to do, to work hard or to be productive or to be effective or to show up on time or to, you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, and that was my kind of background in motivation. And, you know, you know, you go to a meeting and people run around and yell into microphones and pop balloons and do all kinds of fun stuff. You know, there's that kind of motivation. But this wasn't that. It was much more fundamental. It was much more basic to who we are and what we are as human beings. And so as I started studying, there's three kind of core areas that the research indicated that really comprise our personal or intrinsic motivation. And those things are, first of all, our values. And I want to use the metaphor of a tree because um, I like nature. And I think that natural metaphor is more powerful and more aligned with what we are as human beings than a mechanical or a machine metaphor. And so if we think about a tree, like a cherry tree, it starts small because in nature, all things start small. And we're very wise as we're contemplating becoming the master of our own change process to start small, right? We start with little things and then we grow from there. Just like a tree starts as a seed, just pops up above the ground and starts to grow and eventually becomes big and it bears fruit. So we start small and the very foundation is our values. This isn't some vague sense of our values like, yeah, I think nature is important or I love my family or those are great, right? But we need to make our values explicit. And so that's the beginning. That's the foundation. From there, we develop some skills around what Dr. Albert Bandura calls self-efficacy. And I apologize to even use that word because nobody knows what it means. <laughs> but it's this idea that I can do things and I can be successful in getting things done. I can exercise greater control over my life. And then the third principle or uh, set of principles is around balance, right? So on this foundation, if you think of a root ball as your values, core values that are explicit, that gets you deep roots, keeps you grounded as you then grow up into the sky. So then you give them to the trunk, which is like you're getting things done skills. And then the balance, which is the branches, which eventually is gonna bear the fruit that we're all trying to grow in our lives, is self-compassion. It's the principles about how do I deal with myself as a human being, as somebody who's connected to my environment and to the people that are around me in a way that is healthy and helpful as opposed to that holds me back. And so we have these three principles 
um, are three, three areas, and then I've identified 10 principles within those three areas, the combination of which gives us grounding in purpose and meaning, skills to accomplish more and have a greater control over what we're doing, the direction that we're going, the kind of person that we're becoming, and the balance of connectivity with other people and recognizing that I'm a human, not a machine, as I go through a really messy, kind of sometimes nasty journey of, of life. And that's really the book. Indeed, indeed. Thank you, Mr. David, regarding that explanation. Earlier, we talked about being a machine. What do you mean, I am not a machine? <laughs> well, let me ask you now, Christopher, are you married? I am. You are married. And so if you go to your wife and say, sweetheart, get in the car, drive me to the Home Depot, keep the engine running with the summertime, right, with the air conditioning on. Right. And I'm going to go into the Home Depot and I'm going to buy some tools uh, and then come back and then you drive me home. And I want you to do, do that in the next 10 minutes. And if you do that, I'll pat you on the head and say, you're a good wife. How's your wife going to respond to that? I would assume she would not um, respond very well to that because the condescending, the last statement seemed, could be deemed as condescending, right? Exactly. Right. Now, if you start your lawnmower up and you pull on the crank and the dumb thing doesn't start and you know you just can't get it to start, there's gas in it, there's oil in it, it doesn't work. Right. What do you think about your machine? I don't think much of nothing about it because it doesn't have any feelings. It doesn't have any personality for me to display on it. It's just, oh, I either need to get it replaced or I need a replacement or get it repaired. I don't yeah. think anything regarding it. Oh, you're a dumb machine or, oh, you're being um, clumsy or you're being this or that because it doesn't, it's not like, what do they call it? Pixar, where cars became people, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you exactly. Now, though we do, our, we do have more artificial intelligence in some of these machines. I have several around here. that They do seem to have more personalities, but <laughs> we're not quite there yet. Not there yet. But you think of a machine, you think, well, you think it's broken, right? Because it doesn't mm -hmm. do what you want it to do. Right. Now, if your wife doesn't do what you want her to do, do you think that she's broken? I'm going to say no. No. <laughs> so what I'm trying to kind of distinguish between is that we think about machines in a certain way, right? If a machine comes off the assembly line and it doesn't work, we think it's flawed, it's broken, it's a crummy machine, it's a pain in the rear, it's, it's all these things, right? Right. But if I'm a little different than you, right, I don't really think you're broken, right? I don't think you're flawed. I don't think you're a pain. I just think you're different than me. And that's normal, right? That's kind of, I mean, thank goodness, we're all a little bit different. Right, definitely. And so we think about as human beings, right, the principles that guide how we think of ourselves as human beings and how we think of a machine are necessarily different. Does that make sense? 
It makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, and so that's really what I'm talking about when we, a machine. And so I see this, and unfortunately, and, you know, we're 300 to 400 years into the Industrial Revolution. And this kind of metaphor of the machine has pervaded every aspect of our lives. Um, I see it, you know, in job descriptions, right? They'll say, hey, we're looking for somebody to come in and drive change, right? We're going to drive progress. We're going to we're going to create results no matter what it takes. We're going to do all these things because we want you to come in and perform as if you were a machine, right? We expect certain results for you from you. And pardon me. Um, and so this kind of metaphor, we don't even think about it. There's an, a saying, I'm not sure you've heard this or not, but there's this old saying that says, fish are the last to discover water. Have you heard that before? I never heard that phrase. Tell me more. Well, so it's understandable because if this if it's their natural environment, it's nothing for them to discover because they're are they're in it, right? Exactly. They don't even think about it. You had a guest on you know, a few weeks ago, right? Who talked about we don't think about things, right? And we'll be much more successful in life if we just use these marvelous brains that we have to think. And so the idea is fish don't just are the last to discover water because it's just all around them. They've never even thought about it. And so what I would encourage us to do is to think about what is the environment that we live in? And are is my life, is my work, is it trying to treat me like a machine or is it treating me like a human being? And I'm not saying we don't need to get things done. I'm not, it's nothing like that. I'm not a Luddite. <laughs> um, you know, it's just about thinking about ourselves in a way that's consistent with reality. Just like, you know, this model we developed at our health center, which, you know, created the highest quality in our region. We created marvelous engagement with our patients, our clients, our staff were super engaged and loved the work that they were doing. We eliminated, I not know of any other health organization that's done this, but we eliminated any disparities in health outcomes between our minority and majority populations. So depression scores, diabetes management, your A1C levels, you know, the core measures of health, no difference whatsoever in actual health outcomes. And so this model had created, you know, really a very successful, I think, organization from the perspective of our mission and our purpose. And because it looked at us like we were human beings, not like we were machines. And it treated us as human beings. And so I would suggest that for any of us, and we want to be successful in life. And this isn't like by next week, right? <laughs> this is as a lifelong journey. As we talked about that continuum, it's not like, am I sick or am I healthy? It's like, where am I on my journey of health? which is a lifelong continuum of ongoing development, creativity, work. I'm sorry, it is work and it's thinking, but it is all about who am I becoming as much as what am I doing or what have I gotten done? It's this balance as a human being because these are the principles of success for human beings. Versus principles of sex for success for a machine, which is basically it has a function, 
I'm going to put the oil in it. I'm going to sharpen the blade. I'm going to put gas in it. And I expect that lawnmower to mow the lawn every single time come rain or shine, it's going to do the job and then it's a good machine, right? That's the mechanical metaphor. But we're a little more messy than that. <laughs> a little more variable than that. And so what we want to do is focus on the success principles of human success and recognize that is going to serve us. It's going to serve our families. It's going to serve our communities. And I suggest that when I'm talking to like employers and I, you know, I have talk to individuals like this, but I also talk to businesses. And when I talk to businesses, I suggest to them, I say, what is the key differentiator in your business? And they'll talk about their technology or they'll talk about, you know, their market position or all these business things, right? And I will say to you, after working in business for 35 years, healthcare business, but it's still business, the only differentiating thing that you have in your business is your people. Because anybody with money can buy the same technology that you have. Anybody with a big budget can do marketing and develop, you know, a market position. Anybody with skill can, you know, invest in research and development and create new stuff. But your people are the only thing that you have that is truly unique. And so that is your key differentiator. So if it is human beings, what is a company? It is simply a collection of human beings who have come together for some common purpose. So like you, Christopher, are an executive director of an organization, a company, if you will, that has a mission, it has a purpose that it exists. And you've attracted people to your business because they share that same purpose. And your value as a business is in those people that you've hired and how they are engaging with the mission and their own values, the values of the organization and the needs of your clients, customers, your patients, however you describe them, right? And so a business is a collection of human beings. So what is going to create the greatest success for a business? Just focusing on business principles and making money. I don't care what else goes on around me. Or focusing on the principles of human success, even as a business, right? So this is this, this balance idea again, is that we should focus. We have to have best practices in business, right? So your IT stuff, your human resources policies, you know, your facilities, your marketing, all that stuff. Absolutely. You need good business practices, but you cannot do it ignoring the fundamental differentiating factor in your business, which is your people. And so you have to balance the business things with human success. And when we do that, our society is better off because the path we're on today, I'm sorry, I'm getting on my soapbox here, but the path we're on today is destroying society is destroying the environment. It's destroying the very fabric of what makes us human and successful as a planet. And so I think we need to get back and we need to get this balance. It works for business, but it works for us as individuals as well. And this was kind of the short term, you know, this is kind of the short version of the book is that what's good for you as the captain of your health 
care team, as I discovered and studied these principles, is good for you as an employee. It's good for you as a spouse or a parent. It's good for you as a part of a social group. It's good for you in your physical self, your mental self, all aspects and domains of your life. This, these principles will make you more successful. And I just, I've not found an audience yet who, you know, we can't relate to these principles. Why did you write Knew You Who Knew? What was the, you know, maybe you say that I got to put this in a book form to get out to more people. I mean, what was the mission? Why was it important to you to do that? Because I know, was it 300 and something pages? That was a labor of love. Yeah, definitely. It was, it's just my lifelong purpose to give service to other people. And what I realized, I mean, Again, it's a little embarrassing that it took so long to get here. But as I started studying these, I was looking for, well, where's the book? You know, where is the website? Where is the, you know, where they talk about these principles in this balanced way? Because there's people who talk about getting things done, right? There's a lot of resources about that. And there's some resources about self-compassion, which we think about. And so at its fundamental level, I think of self-compassion, and somebody will disagree, and that's fine, but, but as I think about it, this is about self-esteem, right? This is a healthy way that is not based upon comparison with others to develop self-esteem. So you've got self-esteem, you've got accomplishment, and you've got meaning and purpose in that roots of your values that you've made explicit which most of us have never done. But nobody ever put this together in a single package. And I thought this would not only help people who are engaged in healthcare services to help put them in the captain's chair of their life, to put them as the captain of the care team, but since these principles are applicable to all domains of life, it's going to help them everywhere. The, you don't have to like pick up this principle at home, but then leave it at the door when you go to work. Or pick it up when you go to work, but leave it when you go home. Or, you know, pick it up at church, but leave it, you know, when you go someplace else. It applies everywhere. It is completely consistent with all major religious philosophies. Because these are fundamental to the human condition. Um, whether it be Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, you know, I haven't found any kind of life philosophy where these foundations don't create alignment and success as a human being. How long does it take for me to create a new you, new <laughs> me? You know, that's a wonderful question. Well, hold on, hold on. I ask because I don't have a, I don't think I have a lot of time left. You know what I'm saying? I, I, ah. I, haven't, I haven't been helped. I haven't had a lot of healthy practices, you know, um, hypertension, I'm on the borderline of getting diabetes. Um, yeah. My doctor, I don't know what she's doing, but that's another story altogether. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to lose weight, but I just have some bad habits regarding eating. I, I, I like to eat at night. I like to eat sweets. I love chocolate chip cookies. I love pie. I love cake. I love um, Greek gyros. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And I love them in excess, to be honest with you. You know, I get upset that Chick-fil-A doesn't decide to change their mind and not open on Sunday, as I love their cookies and their brownies. I say all that to say this. If I got my mind on the right track, which I'm still working on, yeah. how long would it take for me to change to a new me, in your opinion, based on your experiences? I would encourage you to think about this and everybody who's listening or watching to think about this not as a finite. Remember that idea of I'm sick or I'm healthy, right? Think of it as a journey. Because it's really important if you think about it as I'm sick or I'm healthy or as like, you know, I've, I've got this solved and I'll never go to Chick-fil-A again. I never have a cookie. I had a chocolate chip cookie yesterday, so I'm I'm kind of with you there. <laughs> and so think of it as a journey, first of all, right? I'm a human being. Whatever my life is, we don't know. We never know, right? I mean, and so but however long that is, I'm on a journey. So think of it that way. Think about your foundation, which is your values. What is important to you? This isn't your parents or your spouse or your kids or your neighbor or your boss or the board or, you know, whatever. You as a human being, as an individual, what is important to you? This is a part, and this is why values is the very first chapter in the book, because it's like the root ball. It's so fundamental to help everything else grow in a normal and natural and human way. So you think about it not as I'm going to be healthy next week. You think about it as a journey and starts with what is most important to me. And you connect deeply with those values. And so, for example, you might say, you know, I want to be here with my kids as I get older and I want to be able to play with them and maybe even with my grandkids. Right. You start to think about your values and what's important to you in this way. And then you might set a goal, right? So we move into the self-efficacy skills, these kind of um, skills about awareness and learning my intentions, which is my vision for my life, um, my planning and my doing skills, right? Think about those things. And so you might set a goal using that combination of principles and skills and say, you know what? I'm not going to have cookies Monday through Friday. And I'm not saying you should do this. I'm just as an example. You would have to come up with your own plan based upon your life and what matters to you. But you might say, I want to be around here for my kids. I know if I get diabetes, I've got, you know, five times more likely to have a heart attack. I, you know, you start looking at neuropathy and then I can't walk anymore. I don't want those things in my life. That's not consistent with my vision of who I am and what I think is important. And so you take one small thing. I start small and you might say, I'm not going to eat cookies Monday through Friday. That's a weekend thing. That's my treat. That's my, you know, I'm going to enjoy it, but I'm not going to have it dominate my life, right? Because I want to be the captain of my life, not the victim of it. And so you might set a small goal. And again, the book walks you through the skills that you need, not the master course, but the basic skills that you need. You know, that no matter where you are in your journey, to give you a little bit of upward trajectory. And that's the key for us, right? It makes no difference where you are at, you, Christopher, or me, or anybody listening or watching, 
because it's simply a fact. Where I am at, where you are at is a simple fact. I can't change it. It, it just is, right? And so the key is to say, wherever I'm at right now, what I want to do is influence my trajectory going forward. And I want to be moving along that continuum. And so a new you could start in a moment, right? I am starting to new me because I've made this decision and I'm setting up these um, forces in my life to be successful with that. But consistent with the last three chapters of the book, I'm going to have a cookie on next Wednesday <laughs> because I'm a human being. I'm not a machine and I have it. And I encourage everybody, here's a, something you can take away. So this is a lot of stuff about principles and ideas. Here's something everybody can take away. I start my morning with intent. What is my intent today, right? So if it's Monday and my intent is not to have a cookie today, I'm avoiding the sweets, right? That's my intent. At the end of the day, whenever that is, I am accountable. So it's intention in the morning accountability in the evening. And I say, how did I do, right? And if you normally have some sweets every single day, maybe a couple of them, you only had one, then you can, when you're accountable, you can say, man, I did better. I'm proud of myself for that. What did I learn from this, right? Which is the fourth principle. What did I learn? And then you go on tomorrow morning, you say, this is my intent. Here's what I learned yesterday. Here's my intent. This is what I want to do. And you set off on your day. And then you're accountable. You set that up as a daily process. And you start small, you learn, and you get better and you improve. It's not like there's an end. It's a journey. And you give yourself the time it takes. And that's the process of, unlike a SMART goal, people will talk about SMART goals for getting things done. Those are what are called outcome goals. I'm looking for this outcome as opposed to a becoming or a process goal, which is who I am becoming. So what we want to do is balance our life with some doing stuff, but also with some becoming stuff. And as I become a new me, right, hopefully within a few weeks or a month or whatever time it takes, you will realize that, you know what, I'm eating less sweets during the week. I am living the vision that I set myself because of these values that I hold dear and because I've set up a process of intention and accountability, give myself a break. I'm not beating myself up when I mess up, but I'm learning from it instead, right? Using those self-compassion skills and I'm becoming a new person. And this becomes just your normal life and you'll do this for the rest of your life. So it's really a journey. It's a process. And you will find joy. You will find esteem. You will find purpose in this process of becoming a new you. I mean, who knew? Who knew? Tell us about the final chapter of your book about mindlessness. <laughs> So when I would, I would talk to people about the various principles. So as I discovered things, you know, and I started studying them, I would talk to people about it and post things on Facebook and stuff like that. I even stood in front of the local library <laughs> and harassed patrons as they would come in or out. 
say, hey, what do you think about this? <laughs> anyways, that weird guy at the library. But uh, anyways, I wasn't begging for money, I promise. I never begged for money. But, uh, you know, <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. So um, I, uh, <laughs> I, as I, as I was working on this chapter, I realized that a lot of people, and this is what solidified it for me. I was watching a Dr. Phil interview. And he said, every time I talk about mindfulness, he says, people look at me and they cross their eyes and they go, woo, 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 that guy's crazy talk, right? We have biases. Um, and we talk about mindfulness and we start thinking about burning incense and yoga pants and uh, Ayurvedic and words I don't understand. And we just shut our mind off, right? We just close our mind because, you know, that's not me. I don't want to think about that kind of stuff. And what I wanted to do was avoid what were common biases or these kind of conceptions about what does it mean to be mindful? Does it mean I got to learn to meditate and become a yogi or something? I wanted to avoid any of that kind of blockage or barrier to people actually using their brain, which is all when it comes down to what mindfulness is. So I titled the chapter Mindless as a way to say, hopefully get somebody to say, well, what do you mean mindless, right? Everybody's telling me I should be mindful. So what does mindless mean? And so what I say in that very first couple of paragraphs is, is you have a mind. I have a mind. So being mindless cannot mean I don't have a mind because we know that I, you know that you do. So if it's not the lack of a mind, well, what does it mean? It must mean that I'm not using my mind to my own best interest or in my own best interest. And that's really all the chapter is about is some very simple ways that can help you use your mind in your own best interest. Okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. Well, thank you for telling us about being a new you, new me, and giving us some different perspectives and opening our mind to having better experiences in life. You know what I'm saying? We can learn more about Mr. David R. Edwards at his website, um, davidredwards.com. Let me share that screen real quick. Um, and, then, and from that website, you can easily access his book, which is available as a hardback or paperback, a Kindle, and he has great graced us with an audio book how often does that happen you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah well, what i had was i had people tell me that if i i don't read books but i listen to books mm -hmm. and i thought again for me it's about access how right. can i provide access that works for each individual in their own circumstances an audio book it was it became a necessity indeed indeed and that's David R. Edwards, who wrote the book, New You, Who Knew. You can go to davidredwards.com to find out more about the author, about this great guest, and to access the book, which could help you in many regards to your life and recalibrating your life and getting out of the machine-like state that we currently find ourselves in more often than not. David, would you like to offer the listening and watching audience any words of encouragement as we transition out? I guess just please, please, please 
remember that whoever you are, whatever your circumstances are, your life is important. Your life matters. You have value. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've not done, <laughs> no matter what your past decisions are, no matter what your circumstances are, your success in life will become will come because of your own choices. And aligning your life with the principles of human success. Do that as a human being. Be kind to yourself. Be patient. And be consistent. And you will find yourself becoming a new you. I mean, who knew? I didn't. Thank you, sir. <laughs> and if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Morning Therapy Podcast. That's the Morning Therapy Podcast, where you can listen to, subscribe to, any way which you push play on your favorite podcast. That's the Morning Therapy Podcast. Be well, be great. And thank you, Mr. David, for your presence today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I thrive. I thrive to be alive. I want to live a healthier lifestyle. I want to be healthier. I want to be around for my children to graduate have children and have their children have children. I want to be free from the disease of high blood pressure and diabetes. I thrive to be alive. I thrive to be